moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, October 20th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 284. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome, everybody, to our Big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here with me. We've got a great slate of guests coming in here. We're going to be sitting down with representatives Tiffany and Bob Good. We're also going to have Jesse Banal joining us as well to keep us uh, in tune with everything that's going on with Donald Trump's legal cases. We've got a lot of developing news. The Speaker of the House race has most likely descended into chaos. You'll learn why by the end of the show. Joe Biden had one hell of a failure for a foreign trip this week, and we'll bring you all the lowlights. And he also addressed the nation, something that was relatively weird, especially the amount of money he asked for to continue the war in Ukraine while standing in solidarity with Israel. But before we get to any of the headlines, let's take it up to Capitol Hill and right now the center of the political universe and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started today, we're joined by the congressman representing Wisconsin 7. Very excited to be sitting down for the first time with Representative Tom Tiffany, Congressman, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to join you guys. Well, I wish we could talk about all the cool bills that you guys are passing and how fastly appropriations are going through the House right now. But unfortunately, we've had a little bit of a hiccup over the course of the last couple of weeks. And we were hoping that you could provide our listenership with a little bit of an update on the race for speaker or lack thereof. You know, so as we sit here, it's Thursday, 2 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, uh, still debating whether we're going to go to the vote, uh, go to the floor to vote for a third time for Jim Jordan. You know, we've had two votes. He's basically been at 200 votes for uh, both of those votes. And uh, so debate going on in conference as we speak. And I can just say to you that I'm with Jim Jordan as long as he's running. Um, I think he is. I think it is the time and place for Jim Jordan. You know, it isn't. I've always, you guys, I've always viewed these leadership elections, including when I was in the state legislature, through a little different lens than, you know, like a bill or something like that. And I support Jim Jordan in part because of his political ideology, but I support him more for his leadership skills. Sitting on the Judiciary Committee with him as the Judiciary Chairman, he is really good at his job. He is a good communicator. He has us organized. We are always ready for you know doing some of the highest profile hearings that you'll see in Washington, D.C., whether it's Mayorkas, whether it's the FBI director, whether it's A.G. Garland, um, the Attorney General Garland. We are always well prepared. And I think Jim would take the same thing, those organizational skills, to the Speaker's office and provide that leadership and vision that America needs at this point. No, I, I think we, uh, you know, the narrative that we've kind of pushed on the show is the one that you're kind of professing. We have a lot of you know, congressmen and women that come in here who seem to have the best interests of not only their district, but America first, uh, things that make sense. And then all the important work you guys do on the committees, especially the judiciary one with the uh, 
issues we've had with the Biden administration over the course of the nearly last three years. You know, now that we've gotten past like the protest votes, the virtue singling, the nominating people who are no longer speaker, people that would never enter the race, people that are no longer in Congress. Do you feel that over the next couple of days or maybe even week, we are going to be able to get to this or, or is this extending the uh, speaker pro tem something that we're looking forward to? Because here's the thing. Everybody knows we're running into a hard deadline on the end of the first continuing resolution. Nobody really wants another one. But the fact of the matter is it's running into the holiday season. And at some point, and to, for the sole purpose of getting appropriations done, which is you know one of the reasons why the motion to vacate was you know used against Kevin McCarthy, do you, do you think now that, that people are going to start when you guys go into a conference right now? We call it Republican Conclave on here because we're just waiting for the white smoke to see who's going to be the next nominee for the speaker. But do, do you think – have we moved past the virtue signaling or do you think it's just something that maybe like the never Jim Jordan or never anybody but Kevin McCarthy delegation of the Republican Party is going to continue to do? You know, there's been a little bit of the score settling going on and the looking in uh, in the rearview mirror. And, you know, you've seen some of the the conflicts that have happened over the years. And what I refer to it as score settling that's going on. There's some of that that's going on yet at this point. I hope people can get past that at some point, because this is about the American people and the American people want action. And there's three primary things that I think they want action on. One is in regards to inflation and the cost of living. The economy is not strong for a lot of the American people. And by the way, if you see the data from the federal government, if you don't eat, if you don't drive a car, you don't heat your home or use air conditioning, everything's just fine. But otherwise, if you do any of those things, you've got real inflation in America. Second of all, we got to get back to energy independence. No reason that a barrel of crude oil should be $90 when it could be $60 like it was in the previous administration. And the third thing is secure the border. The American people expect us to do something about them. And Jim has a, uh, Jim Jordan has a vision for all three of those that I hope we can get past all this stuff. And people say, let's get a speaker elected because I know that's Jim's vision. And he has a, he has a, a pathway to deal with those issues. Yeah, we think he does too. And we hope that at the end of the day, I mean, I know things are getting pretty hot and heavy when you guys are behind closed doors, but the fact of the matter is we're never going to get to any kind of a solution and get, unless you guys, you know, hash it out, which is what part of the process that we're in right now. And I think that, you know, hopefully over the next couple of days or even week, we could come to a comprehensive solution that gets you guys going back to work for the American people, because we do want to talk about things on the show, like America first legislation, something that you've recently pushed in the house. And that's, uh, you know, legislation regarding the conflict between Israel and Hamas right now. I know that there's a lot of countries in the region who aren't really looking forward to housing refugees, but at the end of the day, everybody knows, and especially in an administration ran by Joe Biden with Alejandro Mayorkas as the Department of Homeland Security Secretary, there's probably no nothing that's holding them back from wanting to move the refugees in Gaza here to the United States as fast as possible. You're looking to push back on that hard, Congressman. What can you tell our listenership about that? Yeah, I think you characterized it very well. Uh, We introduced the Gaza Act, which is zero admittance for anyone that has a Palestinian Authority passport or what passes as a passport put out by the Palestinian Authority. You cannot use that to get in the United States of America. And it does not allow other means like perhaps immigration parole that the administration has used to get um, 
uh, refugees into this country, we're saying, no, none of that that is used by some uh, someone that has it from the Palestinian Authority. And, you know, you think about, I think it was just yesterday, that the King of Jordan, speaking for both Jordan and Egypt, said, this is a red line for our countries. We will not have Palestinians coming into our country. So if their fellow Arabic countries will not accept them, why in the world would the United States? We should not do that. And the reason we put the Gaza Act out um, almost immediately after the horrible events in Israel of what was that about 10, 12 days ago, is that I could see the Biden administration doing this. I thought it was necessary to be preemptive to send a message to the administration, don't do this and get the American people's attention. Otherwise, they're just going to pump them in here. No, it's the truth. And, you know, when you look at the uh, issues that we have on the U.S. southern border, especially with all the apprehensions we've had over the last three years, not even getting into the weeds of the getaways, but you can't look at a person and determine on whether or not they have ter- terrorist affiliations, whether they're involved in some international cartel or crime syndicate, just by looking at them as a person. And I think places like Jordan and Egypt, they kind of are pretty much assume the same thing. Obviously, if Hamas doesn't think that they're going to do pretty good against the ground invasion into Gaza by Israel, then they're going to try and you know get within the regular population and therefore you know try to claim refugee status, which would essentially be spreading terrorism throughout the region where it's more or less contained in Israel right now. Um, you know, when you saw Joe Biden's trip out to the region and, and the rest of the delegation that went, I'm talking about Secretary of State Tony Blinken, uh, obviously SecDef Lloyd Austin, and, and just the optics of it, you know, uh, Tony Blinken was stood up by MBS in Saudi Arabia after he was parked on the tarmac for five hours on Monday, and then Joe Biden kind of rambled through what looked like a prepared, written-down note card you know, it was it was just really bad optics. But when you're talking about American strength and being an ally to Israel in this time of dire need for them, you know, the atrocities that happened there just uh, nearly two weeks ago are some of the most unspeakable things that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And, and then when you see Joe Biden go over there and he's supposed to meet with Jordan, he's supposed to meet with Egypt, and everybody cancels on our entire country, and then they wind up coming home after just a few hours in theater. What does that say to the American people about how over the last couple of years, our geopolitical footing and uh, the way countries look at us to be a leader in the world has really fallen off. Weakness. Weakness leads to war. That is what is going on at this point. It started on January 20th of 2021 when President Biden announced we're going to have open borders and he shut down Keystone XL saying we are no longer going to be energy independent. Those two things signaled immediately. Then you go to Afghanistan with a disastrous pullout from there. All this stuff has been a message of weakness from America. And the countries around the world see that. Our adversaries definitely see it. And that's why Iran and its proxies like Hezbollah and Hamas, that's why they're pressing their advantage at this point. That's why China presses on Taiwan. Why did Russia invade Ukraine? Weakness. And it is really harming America. And when you see how um, how weak this president is at this point, um, you know, just really feeble. He's really a metaphor for America at this point. And heaven help America and the world that we can make it through another year here. And hopefully it doesn't end up being another five years because we're going to have great instability in America. A strong America leads to a more peaceful world. 
No, it certainly does. And then when you look at the way our, our U.S. southern border is open, the amount of getaways, nearly $2 million over the course of the last three years, the amount of apprehensions that we've had where the Department of Homeland Security has had to admit there are people that have been pinged on maybe terror watch lists or people of interest to the FBI and the CIA that they've released. They have no idea where they are in our country. We don't need to continue to fuel that fire. And at the same time, Congressman, last thing I'm going to ask you about kind of sticks in the same thread of everything that we talked about today. We know you guys have to work on stuff, even though the battle for the speakership continues to rage on. But here's the thing. You know, we we look at this defense bill or military aid package that the Biden administration is putting together. It's some astronomical number. It looks like just as much or more is tied into Ukraine as it is in supporting Israel. And in addition to that, they're using virtue single words like border security. When, you know, a lot of people who are in the know know that the only money that the Biden administration is going to provide for border security is that to increase the speed of processing of people coming across the border illegally. Now, you guys have to tackle this from a bunch of different issues because obviously, you know, more or less the House has stood with Ukraine, even though they are kind of getting tired of just sending blank checks over there at the moment. The stuff with Israel has just kind of popped off and we already see U.S. military might in the form of munitions and, and armored vehicles arriving in the region as early as today. And then the crisis on the border. How are you guys looking to kind of tackle this? As they're going to try and give it to you guys in one shot, but you guys kind of have to break it down as well and, and really look at, uh, you know, what the logistics of it are. Yeah, how I view it is the Biden administration wants to jam us, and they're saying that uh, we're not going to give you guys a choice that have been skeptical of sending money to Ukraine like myself. And uh, so, first of all, the border does not require money. So if you want to hire some more Border Patrol agents, I'd be all for it. You want to build a wall? I'm all for it. But otherwise, it just takes the will to uh, close the border. The president has the authority to institute something like remain in Mexico once again, where you have your asylum hearing outside the country, that does not require money. It just requires the will to do it. Democrats always say, we gotta throw more money at the problem. That's not the case with the border. In regards to Israel, we already have $3.3 billion that's pending over in the Senate right now. They could pass that and send it to the um, to the president at any time for his signature. And we all support, or I should say by far, most people support additional military for uh, aid for Israel. I'm all for that. We just need to make sure that we decouple each of those and let's take them as separate votes, if at all possible. And then Ukraine. I mean, the only way they're going to get some of us uh, in regards to Ukraine is that there be some accountability for that money and how it's going there. Because at this point, there is not. In the American people, that's the minimum they should expect from us is that we make sure that those dollars are being spent for what they're supposed to be spent for. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, when you have a lot of people in the American public kind of waking up and being like, you know, the, the war in Ukraine stuff was great at the beginning. You know, we kind of saw how this kind of went down. Joe Biden's his wordage kind of allowed for this whole thing to happen, saying that, you know, Putin can have just a slice. But now it just seems like we're sending over long-range weaponry over there, and, and a lot of people are starting to become skeptical of, you know, how much of a war is this really going on, or is Ukraine just trying to take out as much of, you know, Russia's invasionary forces uh, they can before, you know, we get to the negotiation table, which in turn is the only way that this conflict is going to end. And, uh, you know, luckily we have great congressmen like you up in the Hill working hard to uh, bring those America First principles to the American people. Uh, Representative Tiffany, and we're going to be looking to have you back on the show again at some point. We're obviously going to live link your congressional website in the show description today so everybody can see your great works. But if they want to follow you on social media, where can they check you out? 
go to at rep tiffany you can find me there and um uh i really appreciate that you guys take the time and i hope someday i'm going to get out to san diego and join you in studio steaks and margaritas they're on us I absolutely love it. Noah just gave me the thumbs up as well. This is the congressman who's representing Wisconsin 7, Mr. Tom Tiffany. Thanks for coming on the show with us today. Great to join you guys. Talks about a third vote and that he will concede if he loses more votes. I certainly will be be advocating for temporary uh, empowerment of the speaker pro tem, allow the conference to, to decompress, reorganize, but most importantly, allow us to get back to work. Is that a problem for you if he stays as speaker designate? Depends how long. Yeah. It says until January. It sounds like it's going to be until January. Big problem. So I'll just say this. We made the, we made the pitch to um, members on the resolution as a way to lower the temperature and get back to work. Uh, we decided that wasn't where we're going to go. I'm still running for speaker, and I plan to go to the floor uh, and get the votes and win this race. But I want to go talk with a, a few of my colleagues. Particularly, I want to talk with the 20 individuals who voted against me um, so that we can move forward and begin to work for the American people. For you, because we are live here right now. How icy was it for you in that room? I heard it got pretty intense. Well, I'm not for everyone, as it turns out, and I have my detractors, but I'm an attorney by trade. I don't get emotional about the presentation of arguments and listening to other people's arguments. It doesn't affect how I think about people. I was there to make the substantive argument that speaker light is a bad idea, just like Bud Light. Um, but but I far prefer us to continue having votes going forward. And you know, when I held out with Speaker McCarthy, we had goals. We had specific things we were fighting for. I think a reasonable question to those that are holding out and not voting for Jordan is, what are you fighting for? What are your goals? What are your objectives here other than to, uh, than just recalcitrance? Thank you so much. We're just gonna move our way out of this now, Chris. All right, jumping into the news portion of our show today, and it was great catching up with Congressman Tiffany yesterday for the first time. He'll definitely be joining us again. He had a blast and uh, kind of gave us a little bit of insight on some of the backdoor Haggling's that have been going on in regards to the speaker vote and recalcitrance. Mm. <laughs> Great way to start the show. <laughs> I'm Roan Noah still here joining me and uh, we're going to take a look at this speakership race that's going on right now. Kind of derailed for the moment. It's in the 12 o'clock hour on the East Coast. and We're doing our Friday edition of the show here. So as you can tell after hearing so much enthusiasm throughout the montage, which we open this segment with, you know, Jim Jordan lost two more votes in the third round of speaker voting today, and, and now that number kind of sits around 22. I did get a list texted to me right before the show. I'm going to read it right now of all of the awesome men and women who are not representing their districts or the American people. Mm. And these were the no votes on Jim Jordan. This is no somebody else or present. doesn't count as well. Bacon, Buchanan, Buck, Chavez de Reamer, Diaz Barino, mm. Diaz Ballard, Isley, Ferguson, Fitzpatrick, Garbarino, Gimenez, Gonzalez, Granger, James, Keen, Kelly, Keegans, Lolota, well, Rhino, Mike Lawler, Miller Meeks, Molinaro, Rutherford, Simpson, Stauber, and Womack. So looking some, at some of those names sound familiar as dirtbags. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have that whole freshman delegation out of New York right now, which is um, virtue signaling by voting for people like Lee Zeldin. I think both Kevin McCarthy and Lee Zeldin had told them both privately and, and through the media over the last 24 to 48 hours to stop. And then you have people like Rutherford down in Florida, 
you know, that ancient piece of crap who's, you know, has been on the news several times over the course of the last week and a half saying, I'm simply not voting for Jim Jordan because Matt Gates wants him to be the Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely how I'm sure the people in his district want him to uh, use his representativeness up there on Capitol Hill. Maybe we can get Kamala Harris to make a Venn diagram of the people who didn't want it to be McCarthy, but now don't want it to be Jim Jordan. Or wanted it to be Jim Jordan back then, but now they don't. Is there any, any overlap, do you think? Well, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that. I didn't really have a way to to have the first lady <laughs> join us on the show today, but uh, I got a quickie for her. Let's hear it. So let us today celebrate America's diversity and our collective commitment to inclusion and the importance of equity. Yes, I just did do DEI. (laughs) Great, check it out with her. Yep. So, you know, this is kind of where it's at. And it's really interesting. Behind closed doors yesterday, we can confirm because I joined a Twitter space yesterday. And I want to thank people like Nick Sator and Trash and Millie for putting those things together. And I was able to join a room and actually get up on the stage and talk with Congresswoman Boebert, Gates, Santos, and Byron Donalds was there as well. So yesterday, during closed doors meetings, we like to call it the Republican conclave here as we wait for the white spoke to see if there's going to be another vote or a speaker <laughs> nomination. Kevin McCarthy was addressing the audience and letting them know that there's a couple factors here that you have to look at. Number one, he got three months to whip his votes for speaker. Jim Jordan essentially got no time. That's why the push by a lot of the moderates for the Speaker Pro Tem, Patrick McHenry, Patrick McBowtie, Mm. to remain Speaker on the back of another continuing resolution when the one runs out on November 17th all the way through the new year on January 3rd. Understand this, though. A lot of that backing for McHenry to remain Speaker comes on the heels of that these representatives don't want to be in Washington, D.C. for the entire holidays bickering over this. Yeah, they should figure it out. It has nothing to do with the urgency to have a speaker. Figured out or staying late. It has nothing to do with the fact that the line of succession in the United States is temporarily and unconstitutionally messed up right now. There is no clear verbiage on whether or not Patrick McHenry can become the president of the United States. God forbid something happened to Joe Balschin Biden and Mm. Kamala Cackle Harris. But the fact of the matter is you see a lot of moderates and a lot of the seniors in the Republican House pushing for the mchenry band-aid until january 3rd just simply for the fact that they want to spend their holidays with the families which is the last thing they should be doing because they haven't done any work for us lately so while mccarthy was addressing the delegation yesterday in the republican conclave apparently matt gates went to add his two cents and approached one of the microphones to where some swearing and maybe a sit the fuck down junior occurred junior at which point congressman mike boast and this is confirmed, you know, I thought it was kind of a rumor, but when you hear Bobert, Gates, and Santos all talking about it, and then Byron Donalds come in, we want to remind everybody he is 6'2", 275 pounds, African-American. Ain't scared of shit. So Mike Post apparently lunged in the direction of Matt Gates. Lunged? At which point, people in the back started telling Byron, hey, this is getting real, it's time to go. So he started moving towards the front of the room where the microphones were. So shit almost went off the rails. <laughs> Apparently cooler heads prevailed and, and they were able to break conclave. But again, this morning, which is Friday, we still do not have a speaker after a third round of voting. In fact, Jim Jordan lost two more votes today. His 20 the other day is now 22 
negative detractors and no votes for him. What are, I mean, is anybody posing reasons why he shouldn't be? Well, here's like the, legitimate reasons, or is it just like if you look at the absolute holdouts, recalcitrance? That's part of it. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it's like conciliatory. Okay. So if you look at the absolute last of the holdouts, and I'm not talking about the four from New York, they're just being immature about this whole thing. But when you look at the ones, the seniors on this list of people who are not budging on this you start to notice a trend. There are a lot of ties to the appropriations process, defense spending, and K Street, lobby groups. And what you get with Jim Jordan is the push for smaller government and the promise of reducing the budget. Those two things really don't go together, especially when you talk about defense spending and the fact that we by the end of the show, you'll see are now going to be responsible for funding essentially two wars across the globe. So this we, is, we can do two at a time. That, that's not going to be bad, right? What's the worst that could happen? Sweatsuit's going to have to take a little bit less dough. Yeah. And he's already mad. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where when you start to look at the people that are left, it, it, it's interesting that they're ties to the appropriation process, defense spending, and of course, K Street, they have. And then... You know, you see a lot of these people for the first time ever hearing from their constituents. You know, there's been a lot of push, especially on X, formerly Twitter, social media, a lot of podcasts, even, uh, you know, some of the more mainstream media shows like Boomer Sweat, Sean Hannity has been urging people to call their representatives and, and leave them a little nasty gram and, and overwhelm their email boxes. So I always see people pushing to do stuff like that. And I just feel like those people just they set up an email filter. And just, like, add certain words to go directly to the junk box. Like, okay, everybody's going to tell me to quit being a rhino. I'm Okay, all right, well, I'm going to put rhino to go to the junk box. And then for the calls, I mean, what, voicemails? Nobody's going to listen to them anyway. Like, I, it's not a bad idea to call these people, but I feel like they have ways to circumvent actually hearing what you want to say, unfortunately. And they do, and they have. But that was, like, at the beginning of this process. Now that we've had nearly two weeks to kind of go through this speakership volume two, mm-hmm. people have gone to the media and the media have be, began questioning these congressmen and women saying like, okay, you're a no vote on Jim Jordan. What and have you considered? That is how to fix it. That's how to fix it. So now you have all of these congressmen and women who have never interacted with their constituents going on the news and saying, well, people are being mean to me and they're saying extremely vulgar things and they're talking about my family and I'm even getting death threats. Good. Thank God. Well, maybe not good, but you know, nobody likes a death threat. <laughs> But there are other congressmen and women who are more frequently seen in the media and do interact with the public and their constituents on a more regular basis who have come out and said, you know, nobody enjoys hearing stuff like that. And I'm sure if it's credible, it'll be investigated. But guess what? That's part of the process. I get death threats every week. I've heard a couple congressmen and women go on the record on networks from between CNN and Fox News that have said just that. Nice. Do we ever get death threats? No, not really? yet. Yeah. yeah. Step up your game, kids. I bet you if we start <laughs> selling merch or charging for podcasts. Oh, no. We'll definitely get some death I'm, threats. I'm there. so glad we decided never to do merch. Well, we just don't have sweatshop capabilities here. That's why you farm it out to China and get those, uh, you know, slave labor. Make your T-shirts. Jesus. And for even some of these people that refuse to even meet with Jim Jordan on why there are no... Jim Jordan was going around yesterday afternoon and inserting sticky notes under their door. <laughs> sticky that, notes? That said, please tell me the real reason why. 
Yeah, someone who, was able, wait, who was doing this? Jim Jordan. <laughs> someone was able to get a, a, a good picture of him sliding one in. Post-it notes? Yeah. Like, not even just, like, a printed piece of paper, just, like, writing a little love letter on a post-it note and sticking it under there. Is that so it will stick to the door and just annoy them, like, when they try to open the door and then reach for it? Is it going to be, like, 16 candles at one point with the, oh. the radio outside? Are you going to vote for me? Circle yes or no. He's going to start coming with those. What were those little things that you put on your fingers and it's like <laughs> colors and numbers that you yeah, get yeah, fortune yeah. at the end? Yeah. So I found out that uh, one of our great friends on the show, Representative Mike Collins, he, he joined us earlier this week uh, to give us a little insight on this disaster up there on Capitol Hill. So his comms director has been on leave and uh, he's been <laughs> posting whatever he wants on there. Nice. And, you know, he's he's thrown some stuff on his social media like he wrote with a Sharpie on a on a pizza box, keep bombing Hamas. <laughs> and then he was using a magic eight ball this morning before he went into the chamber. And it said outlook not likely mm. on whether or not they were going to get a speaker today. Spoiler alert, he was right. I think his business card was the best with the whiteout. Yeah. What, what did it say? It said... Uh, house member. House member, but he changed it to house memer. <laughs> He's done a good job with it, and, you know, he actually threw a couple good comments on some of our posts. He made the Hamas caucus reference mm. last week when I posted about Rashida Tlaib. And, you know, Jim Jordan went out this morning and made a pitch directly to his detractors before going onto the House floor with his coworkers. Let's hear it. They see an open border. They see crime in the streets. They know what it costs to put gas in their car. They know what it costs to put food on the table. They see a war in Israel, our strongest ally, Israel, and what's happening there, and the help that Israel needs. And they see a government that's been weaponized against we, the people. The very government that's supposed to serve us has been turned on the taxpayers who pay for it. I think the American people are thirsty for change. I think they are hungry for leadership. And frankly, they know that the White House can't provide it. They know the Senate won't lead. And they are looking for House Republicans to step up and lead and make change on these important issues. we got important work to do. Important work to do. We need to help Israel. We need to get the appropriations process moving so that the key elements of our government are funded and funded in the right way, particularly our military. We need to get back to our committee work. And frankly, we need to continue the oversight work that I think is so darn important. In short, we need to get to work for the American people. We need to do what we said we were going to do. We need to do what we told them we were going to do when they elected us and put us in office. And frankly, we can't do that if the House isn't open. And if the, we, can't, we can't open the House until we get a speaker. My favorite scripture verse is 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul's the old guy giving advice to the young guy, Timothy. And he says, fight the good fight, finish the course, keep the faith. And I tell folks, I love that verse because of the action in it, because of the word. Americans aren't timid folks. They are people of action. And the words in that verse, fight, finish, keep, I think fit the American spirit. Americans expect their government to fight for them. They expect us to finish our work. And they expect us to keep faith with the principles and values that made us the greatest nation ever, made us the nation that could go from the Wright brothers to Neil Armstrong. That's what we have to keep in mind. And that's the kind of attitude I think we got to have. The quickest way to get all this working is to get a speaker elected. That's what I hope we can do today. I'll take your questions. And that's kind of where we were before we uh, 
headed to the House floor for the vote. You know, I'm going to refer back to that X, formerly Twitter space, that I was in last night. And, and one of the things that Matt Gates suggested is that we should continue to get receipts on these people who are refusing to vote for a speaker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took 15 rounds for McCarthy. They said we should have as many rounds as Jim Jordan has ugly blue shirts and yellow ties because that's his trademark outfit. <laughs> and, and you know, but but the thing is, oh, you know what else was good about that Twitter space? So, I, What if Jim Jordan actually counted how many of those he had and said, all right, guys, this is the last one. <laughs> that would be a pretty good rebuttal. True story. When I talked with Congresswoman Boebert in there last night for the first time. You she, know, is she going to come on the show? George Santos had hyped us up. And Matt Gates was like, you know what? That actually is a really good podcast. I'm not on there enough. I got to get back on there. And nice. I, and I talked with Joel, his his guy over there up on Capitol Hill. And Matt's going to be on the show sooner or later. He, uh, you know, does a lot of bigger media. And we understand that he doesn't come hang out in the basement as much as uh, he should. But he'll be back. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Congresswoman Boebert had said she had never heard from us. And I said, hey, listen, you're the only one in this group right now that has never been, that has taken the stake plunge. And she's like, oh, yeah, I really got to do it. So then one of the guys, Jim Paff, one of our great guests, he's the former chief of staff, Capitol Hill. knows. Have we not reached out to her? So here's the thing. He's like, okay, I'll get you the guy's email if you uh, want me to connect you with Bobert. So I screenshotted like the 100 times that I've reached out to her office. <laughs> and I sent him a screenshot. I said, not only do I reach out to her office every week, I said, I took a screenshot of the one I sent yesterday morning. I said, here's the one from 5 a.m. Pacific time today that I sent. And he just like laugh reacted at it. Within five minutes, Anthony. Mm-hmm who apparently has a uh, filter on our emails, messaged me back and was like, hey, I just want to know what your schedule looks like for next week because Congresswoman Boebert would like to join you guys on the show. <laughs> Listen, sometimes yeah. sometimes you got to push the limits right there and, uh, you know, get it so your listenership can have these people join you, even though we're, we're not Tim Pool level or Well, and sometimes Joe you just, Rogan you just have, to, you have to break through the, the spam. I mean, because there's probably a lot of people that are hitting them up and, Maybe the person who's reading those emails doesn't have steak for breakfast as something that pings in their head as something they've heard before. No, we're not going to ask her about it. They're her, like, this uh, is obviously some fucking cooking show. That <laughs> yeah, we're not going to ask her about her wandering hands or anything like that. Or theater antics. <laughs> I was waiting for you to laugh. I was trying to. I was looking at the board. What button should I use? No, that's it. So Jim Jordan makes his pitch. He invokes the Wright brothers and Neil Armstrong, mm. amongst other things. I mean, I get it. But it, it shouldn't have to be this hard. You know, uh, I did hear last night in that ex-formerly Twitter space as well that Congressman Gates, Donalds, Santos, and Congresswoman Boebert all hypothesized about what we might have to do from here if Jim Jordan just can't obtain the gavel. And, and they suggested Louisiana Representative Mike Johnson, who's a little bit more of a moderate, but definitely America first, He's more of a faith-based representative. Mm-hmm. And everyone that I've talked to and brought up his name has said he's absolutely fantastic. So might not be as fire and brimstone, even though apparently he lives within the gospel, as we'd want with somebody like Jim Jordan, who the mainstream media keeps calling him a conservative bomb thrower. I really don't see that. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's a, I mean, shitting on him because he's the person that well, quote unquote, our team wants is reason is reason enough for them. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see the way that they put these tags on people and then let others just kind of idly scoot by. 
Uh, I want to remind everybody, wherever you're listening to the show today, whatever platform it's on, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're following the podcast. Downloading the show helps us out in the top 100, obviously the algorithms. We come up in the suggestions more. If you have the ability on Apple and Spotify to leave a five-star rating and review the show, please do so as well. We really appreciate your comments and uh, take them to heart, even the nasty ones. Especially the nasty ones. We don't get too many of those. Yeah. And then follow us on social media, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow us and hit the notification bell. Former speaker Kevin McCarthy took to the floor this morning to make his last pitch to detractors and voters for him that it's time to get back to work. Let's hear him. As the leader of the Judiciary Committee, Jim has passed more bills through the House in just three years than the entire Democrat leadership team that has their collective 28 years in Congress. Mr. Aguilar has a whopping one whole bill signed into law. Aguilar? A post office in San Bernardino. Mm. I guess that's good enough to be caucus chair. And <laughs> listen, there's no love lost between the Republicans and Democrats right now. We do know that because... Democrats didn't flip to save McCarthy. We saw that people like, you know, Steny Johnson and Nancy Pelosi got kicked out of their little offices up there in the building. Noah, did you see the insurrection this week up at the Capitol? In the I Canada did. Building? I did. And I'm wondering when these people are going to be locked up without a trial for several 20, years. Yeah, 22 months before they're even yeah. brought before a judge. Yeah. I, I heard there was over 300 arrests, but I'm pretty sure everybody's gotten out already. That's weird. So weird. I mean, not really, but you know. <laughs> you can imagine what it'd be like. No, it, it's the truth. You know, and, and while everybody's going to continue to whip up the boomers and make everybody highly excited and agitated over this situation, we have to just hope that at some point cooler heads prevail. Um, whether it's Jim Jordan, whether it's Mike Johnson, whether it's somebody more moderate than that, which is not what we want. But at the end of the day, these guys do need to get back to work. Um, because right now what they're guaranteeing you is that there's going to be another continuing resolution voted on and passed on November 17th. These people aren't going to give two shits about you even more when they leave Capitol Hill for the entirety of the holidays. Mm. And when we come back to work in January, we'll be exactly in the same spot. And then you'll have everybody saying, well, we've been doing this for two weeks. Now they'll be saying, well, we've been doing this for three months and we're still in the same situation. Yeah, no. No is right. 20 on the first vote, 20 on the second vote, 22 on the third vote. The most Jim Jordan or anyone that's running to wield the gavel right now can lose is four because one person is out of the office on medical. So. Uh, there's nobody just like slamming the button for him. Mm, good point. We are going to be jumping in with senior representative and House Freedom Caucus member Bob Good in just a minute. I do have one more clip, though. Following the vote today. Matt Gates was on the steps of the Capitol. He was caught up in a press gaggle and gave this statement here. Let's hear him. Jordan, have no goals, have no asks, have no objectives other than to see the eight of us suffer some consequence for having removed McCarthy. So we've made them an offer. The eight of us have said that we are willing to accept censure, sanction, suspension, removal, 
from the Republican conference. We, of course, will remain Republicans. We will continue to vote with Republicans on Republican principles. But if what these holdouts need is a pound of our flesh, we're willing to give it to them in order to see them elect Jim Jordan for speaker. All on fire. And somebody's colleagues. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting catching that in on the way to the studio today. Mm-hmm. So Matt Gates and the rest of the eight, which includes our great friend Eli Crane, are willing to give up everything. They're willing to accept a conference censure, which is pretty much, I mean, it didn't really hurt Adam Schiff, but it's the worst thing. It, it pretty much stops you from doing just about everything. They're willing to be removed from their committee seats, and they've guaranteed to remain loyal to the conference and the caucus and continue to vote with things that they feel are America first as part of retribution for these 22 holdouts who just won't budge on Jim Jordan yielding the gavel. So it looks like we've had a lot of developments up on Capitol Hill today here on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Rep. Andrew Clyde is going to push to our Tuesday edition of the show next week. However, we are going to be sitting in with Congressman Bob Goodnow and get a full update, including the breaking news that Jim Jordan is no longer in the running for Speaker of the House. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, this apparently busy Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the congressman representing Virginia 5. Glad to be sitting down again with Representative Bob Good. Congressman, thanks for coming back on the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me this afternoon. And are we ever going to have some good stuff to talk about? We just finished our new segment leading up through this morning's vote where Jim Jordan was again defeated on the House floor for Speaker. And afterwards, it seems like everything has just fallen apart. There's been secret votes. There's been people throwing out names of back to the establishment wing of the party as far as those who are going to be running for the speakership next week. I mean, I know you guys are set to return next week on Monday for, I guess you could call it House Conclave, before we can get a smoke signal on who's going to be the next nominee. But at this point, what's the latest you could tell our listenership? Unfortunately, Jim Jordan's candidacy uh, has come to an end. He did lose on the House floor in the sense that he got 194 votes, but there were some uh, 25 or so Republicans who voted against him enough to uh, cause him to call for us to go back into a conference meeting. And he requested a sort of a confidence vote. How many members wanted him to remain as the candidate and keep fighting to become the speaker? And how many wanted him just to throw in the towel and let us consider new candidates? And unfortunately, he lost that somewhere in the range of 120 to 80. Uh, that was disappointing. Secret ballot, to your point. I didn't think we should I didn't think we should go and have that. But I thought he should just keep having votes on the floor, keep the pressure on. I felt like time was on our side. I'd I felt like uh, those individuals who had no case against him, and I submit were mostly against him for spiteful reasons or the wrong reasons that they couldn't sell to the American people. Uh, and I felt like the longer we kept voting, the better likelihood there was that Jim would win. So I regret that that he didn't. And the swamp struck back. And unfortunately, we will start again. But the, the, we might have lost this battle, but the war is not over. Uh, We, as a conservative bloc, the House Freedom Caucus and other allies and associates uh, can block anyone from becoming speaker. And we're not going to settle for just anyone. We're going to do our best to uh, to come together on the most conservative 
fighting leader that we can find. Uh, and the good news is, I'll just encourage you with this before I uh, go to your next question, but we had the first national speaker election that we've ever had. That instead of a coronation of the next in line, the presumptive leader or uh, you know, majority leader or the current speaker, what have you, we actually had a grassroots conservative wage a campaign where the American people were weighing into their elected representatives, letting their voices be heard, overwhelmingly supporting Jim Jordan. Unfortunately, their representatives, at least some of them anyway, did not listen to their constituents, their grassroots uh, voters and uh, the base of the party. And Jim Jordan ultimately did not get the votes that he needed. Uh, but we will do it again. And the American people will be able to weigh in on these candidates. Yeah, and I think the American people are getting a little tired. You know, like you had mentioned, the overwhelming support across the country seemed to be coming for Jim Jordan. It seemed to have overflowed the voicemails and email inboxes of a lot of the people up on Capitol Hill. And, and it just seemed that this was never going to be able to get over the hump because, like you mentioned, it, there's some longstanding issues in the House. There were representatives this week who just said they weren't going to do it because they were loyal to McCarthy. There was a small delegation from New York of three or four congressmen who kept nominating Lee Zeldin when it came time for them to vote. Obviously, people who just said, I, I'm not going to vote for Jim Jordan because Matt Gates wants Jim Jordan. And when, when we when the American public starts to see that stuff, like kind of the curtain get pulled back. I mean, it, this is the first time we've had a motion to vacate, a first time we've had a national election for a speaker like you just mentioned. And then we start to see a lot of the infighting. We know there was some pushing and shoving going on in Republican conference yesterday and, and, and people yelling at each other. But what does this say for the process? I mean, I think at some point the American public really doesn't understand how spoiled the Democrats have, have made themselves become just having Nancy Pelosi in and out of there so many times at speakers over the last couple of decades. And, and the fact that it shouldn't be a coronation process, that we should have to go through these growing pains to get the right person in there who's going to adhere to what the American people sent you guys up to Capitol Hill for at the end of the day is the process that they want to see play out. And it sounds like you're on board for as well. I am. And I just want to try to encourage folks who are just concerned about the process or the time that it takes or the disruption to Congress. And I would ask you, let's say we hadn't done this uh, now, I guess, three weeks ago with the motion to vacate. Let's say we still had Kevin McCarthy as speaker. How would Congress be working or winning for the American people today? What if, would have been accomplished uh, two of these three weeks? We weren't even going to be in, in, in conference, by the way. Uh, we were going to be back in our districts. But what would have been accomplished for the American people? What would Kevin McCarthy have done as speaker? What kind of wins would have been delivered for the American people that weren't delivered in the previous 10 months of this Congress? What do you think would have been happening? Every bill that we passed out of the House uh, is dead on arrival in the Senate, in the White House. and doesn't get passed into the law except for the D.C. crime bill that my friend Andrew Clyde sponsored. But other than that, nothing's been able to get through both houses and the president to sign it. And the only opportunities we had were the debt ceiling and the funding of the government. And in both cases, under Speaker McCarthy, thankfully now former Speaker McCarthy, uh, we did what the Democrats wanted to do in both cases. We passed those bills with overwhelming Democrat votes. We didn't need a Republican majority to do that. So we've literally delivered nothing for the American people. And so the eight of us said, you know what, we cannot continue on the current track that is unsustainable. We know the, there was a degree of an uncertainty and a degree of risk to file the motion to vacate. Uh, Matt Gates filed it. I supported it, as did six of our other colleagues. There's a degree of uncertainty, but there was certainty to the current path. There was certainty to the current leadership of the Republican House, and the American people were losing. And so what we, were what, what we are trying to do, even still without Jim Jordan, but the next speaker that we 
uh, will elect, and we will have to elect someone. We're trying to elect someone who will actually fight for the American people instead of fighting for the special interests in Washington. And it's sad that that battle continues to get a leader to fight to that effect, but that battle is not over. And that's the thing, the the, in, the internal fighting and the overall battle. It's hard now when there's been between, you know, 18 and 22 people who consistently voted no for Jim Jordan throughout the first three rounds, Congressman, that you see that a lot of these people have ties to the appropriations process, defense funding. And at the end of the day, the, the K Street Mafia, one of the biggest problems that Congress has had up there for a long time. We know that you guys push back on that stuff in the House Freedom Caucus. We know that you guys try to stay away from lobby groups and all things of that nature as they do hurt the process, I feel, when it comes to getting legislation passed even when we do have things like control of the Senate or even a president in the Oval Office. But the fact of the matter is it looks like they pushed back pretty hard. And when you see just this afternoon, Kevin McCarthy's out there already saying that he's going to endorse Tom Emmer for speaker. He may or may not be a good congressman, but he is part of that leadership, you know, gaggle that's kind of run it the same way for the last little while up there on Capitol Hill. And I think it's making a lot of Americans apprehensive to see how this process is going to shape up heading into next week. Well, it does. And the challenge for us is that half of the Republicans in the 221 of us that make up the conference, half, I would submit, don't really want to do the things that we run on. They don't really want to cut our spending. They don't really want to shrink government. They don't really want to do the tough things that are required to turn this country around and reverse the harmful policies of the Biden, Pelosi, Schumer regime under which we are still living and suffering. And then there's about two thirds who are, who are willing to do whatever leadership tells them to do, irrespective of where their ideological leanings are, whether they want to do conservative things if they can. Well, the good news is upending the speaker cart, uh, overthrowing the leadership, trying to put someone new that more reflects the conservative base of the party, the grassroots, really changes that paradigm. So we haven't won that battle yet. We've, we, we've started the battle. We're in the battle. We're in the fight. And we're not going to give up. We're not going to just rubber stamp... Uh, uh, again, someone who represents the swamp, represents the system, represents represents the uniparty cartel that controls Washington. No, that's an excellent point there. And it's kind of the way we've, uh, you know, guided our listenership on is, is not losing it on social media. Don't do ridiculous things by starting to get nasty with the congressman when it comes to, you know, making phone calls or sending emails. Just continue to support the process because growing pains are not supposed to be easy. They're not supposed to be, you know, something that just happens overnight. They're supposed to be an elongated process that allows for a better result than what we supposedly fought for. We fought for the motion to vacate you and the seven others, you know, stood strong on that. And, and whether or not people are happy with where we're at now, I think it leads to a better way that the process kind of plays out moving forward. Yes. If I could add to what you said that you're exactly right. And for the folks who even, even good folks who are conservative and they want you to fight, you can get caught up in the media representation. Oh, this is embarrassing. This is a clown show. This is chaos. We've got to get back to pretending we're getting things done. And that's literally what you're saying. Let's get back to pretending we're getting things done as if the American people will care a year from now that it took two or three weeks or whatever long it took to elect a speaker, that for a period of time, we, we disrupted the ability of Congress to do more things to them while we were pretending to do things for them. I mean, it's like in January when we took a few extra days to select a speaker, you know, all the predictions of, oh, this is a crisis. American, the, 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 the voters are going to hold us accountable for this. We will lose the majority because we didn't immediately vote in Kevin McCarthy and what, a week or two later, nobody cared how long it took. Most Americans don't care who the speaker is. They just want Congress to work for them for a change. It's not right now. We shouldn't be in a hurry to go back to the status quo. However long it takes, we got to try to improve things here in Washington.
Yeah, we make fun of uh, former Speaker Newt Gingrich on the show here, too. So every time he goes out there saying, like, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of things that have happened, it's like, guys, listen to what he's saying. Now walk outside of your door. The sun is still shining. There's still kids playing in the front yard. Everything's fine. We'll we'll get it fixed at some point. Congressman, last thing I wanted to touch with you on, Joe Biden had a pretty disastrous trip to the Middle East this week and showing his, I guess, his administration support for Israel. Obviously, him and uh, Bibi Netanyahu getting together is never bad for, for American you know, geopolitics. But the fact of the matter is he did have a lot of people, uh, Egypt, Jordan, and the PLO leadership cancel on them. Tony Blinken was stood up by MBS on the tarmac in Saudi Arabia. And then we see this bill that gets passed. We are going to break it down on the show a little bit. Joe Biden's weird address to the nation last night where he kind of tried to take everything from like American resolve, what we did during World War II, and lump that together with Russia and Ukraine, Israel and Palestine, and everything else that's kind of going on with a little slice of the southern border. I did see the White House put out some literature today. It looks like any border security funding, and I'm air quoting here, is going to be just essentially for processing illegal migrants faster, the expansion of lawful pathways for said illegals, and then uh, support for eligible arrivals, which means like we're going to clear them out faster so the people that are coming in and have a more expedited process to get unabated into the country. When you see the way this is all kind of lumped together, and this goes back to the speakership because it comes down in legislation like this where they kind of hold you guys who are super America first hostage and saying like, okay, you guys are always out there talking about securing the border. We'll secure the border if you guys support Israel and then let us keep funding Ukraine. When you when you see the way that Joe Biden kind of laid it out there for last night and how the White House kind of threw it in there as they always do before they take off for the weekend, what kind of alarms and red flags does it raise for you? Well, I would remind everybody that Biden inherited relative peace and security in, uh, in in the Middle East, and you know, on the on the uh, aftermath of the Abraham Accords, the historic progress President Trump made, Iran was suffering under Trump's massive pressure campaign. And what do we have today? We've got war again in the Middle East. We've got our ally Israel attacked with no fear of the United States. We've got a president who re- who reacted inadequately, to say the least, from the beginning. You know, you yeah. had Tony Blinken the next day calling for a ceasefire. You had the president silent on it for about four days. He obviously has had a strained relationship with Netanyahu, I think, who I think is an excellent leader, by the way. Yes. Uh, but, but you know, it seemed like he did represent himself fairly well, to, uh, Biden, to the extent that he is able to. Uh, but but this, this these uh, remarks last night, we want to borrow $100 billion, $90 billion of which has nothing to do with Israel, uh, and while I think there's relative support for for trying to help Israel to the extent needed, and I, and I do support that, the other 90 billion, there is not uh, you know, overwhelming support, to say the least, in the Republican Party to, to support Ukraine, let alone billions more for ill-defined humanitarian aid, probably to go to Hamas, by the way, let's send more their way, not to mention, like you said, money for the border, so that not, 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 so they can you know, detain or return, but instead to catch and release, to process into the interior of our country, millions of more illegals at taxpayer expense, uh, executing their plan, which is to help as many illegals as possible invade our country, so that what happens in Israel becomes more probable by the day here in the United States because of the individuals we have let into our country. 
Congressman, last thing I'm going to leave with today uh, before we get you out of here, and this is just me kind of thinking of it throughout the course of, you know, us talking right now. There was rumors a couple weeks ago that President Trump, not to be nominated for the speaker or any of that garbage, but might show up to the Republican conference and, and kind of hear the big problems that, you know, some of these factions within the five families are having right now up on Capitol Hill. Do you think at some point if we can't get something ironed out in the next week or two that might be beneficial, or do you think that, you know, President Trump should just continue to focus on his, to this point successful primary campaign well I, I i don't think that's probably something that president trump will do he'll certainly be welcome wherever he wants to come as it relates to the republican party sure uh, but I, I think it's our responsibility to do that i think we're capable of doing i know we haven't demonstrated it thus far uh, but we'll keep working we'll elect a speaker because we have to elect a speaker right. and then we will all own that speaker and we'll all have a vested interest in that person's success well that's the funny thing about the house every two years there's a referendum at the ballot box and uh you know right. the ones who are actually serving their constituents and, and doing their job for the american people right now are the ones i think are going to be most victorious come november of next year congressman we're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today if there's anybody that wants to follow you on social media where could they check you out at Rep. Bob Good. Uh, certainly they can go to bobgoodforcongress.com and, and at good.house.gov. This guy is on the front lines. He's one of the few that remained in the Capitol after everybody was dismissed for the weekend as well to jump in here with us and give you some perspective on everything that's going on with the speaker race and more. Representative Bob Good, thanks for joining us on the show and have a great weekend, sir. You too. Thank you. Great to be with you. The world will know that Israel is, str Israel is stronger than ever. And my message to any state or any other hostile actor Thinking about attacking Israel remains the same as it was a week ago. Don't. 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 <laughs> Since this terrorist attack, terrorist attack took place, terrorist attack, terrorist we've attack? seen it described as Israel's 9-11. Okay. But for a nation the size of Israel, it was like 15 9-11s. The scale may be different, but I'm sure those horrors have tapped into so, some kind of primal feeling in Israel, just like it did and felt in the United States. Shock, pain, rage, an all-consuming rage. I understand and many Americans understand. You can't look at what has happened here to your mothers, your fathers, your grandparents, sons, daughters, children, even babies, and not scream out for justice. Justice must be done. Well, <laughs> so he's uh, he's saying. Are you doing the math on the computer over there? <laughs> Thirteen thousand six hundred sixty-five. That's the new nine eleven for Israel. I'll allow it. <laughs> Fifteen nine elevens. Man, mm. you want to you want to talk about a disaster of a foreign trip? And Joe Biden sure as hell had one this week. Uh, he went over to Israel, and we're going to try and give you guys just a little snapshot into just how bad it was. And that's the thing. You, you look at the way that America might and leadership has just fell off the cliff around the world and how disrespected our leadership here in the United States is now on a global scale. It should be more worrisome than some of the actual kinetic fighting going on around the planet because we are zero percent respected and we're less than that feared yeah so it, it's just the way it is and you know a lot of this is falls on the shoulder of joe biden and his handlers but they continue to do these stunts this trip didn't need to happen and, and when you see what happened throughout the course of the trip so joe biden was supposed to go over and make two stops obviously he was going to go to israel in a 
example of standing in solidarity with Bibi Netanyahu and the Israeli people following the terror attack and massacre that occurred there two weeks ago. I don't necessarily hate it. I hate that it's Joe Biden, Mm -hmm. but that's neither here nor there. Joe Biden was also supposed to fly to Egypt or Jordan and sit down with leaders of those two countries and the leaders of the Palestinian Authority and talk about the situation in Gaza and what the United States can do to help provide relief for the citizens trapped in the crossfire. That's not really at the top of my list of give a shits right now, but at the same time, optically, it would have showed that these people weren't just foaming at the mouth ready to wait for Israel to start their ground operation, so now they could start attacking them as well. That meeting was canceled while Joe Biden was in flight to Israel. How far do you make it? How much money did that cost us for him to make a fucking U-turn? When you look... I forgot my car keys. Truth. At the way Arabs usually treat anyone, especially in high levels... Did I leave the stove on? And in regards to their enemies, it doesn't matter if they love you or hate you. Their level of hospitality, just for the optics of standing with a leader like that from the United States, is something that you really can't get anywhere else. However, they felt because it's Joe Biden, that they didn't give a shit and they were going to cancel the meeting anyway. Why would you care? This comes on the heels of Monday's cancellation. What's he going to do, juggle his chin at you? Of Anthony Blinken's meeting with MBS in Saudi Arabia where he left him on a tarmac for five hours and said, you want to know what? We're not going to do this. Go back to Israel. That's just bad. It really is. I mean, when you see how just completely invalid this invalid seems to be categorized on the world stage for for everybody all of our whether they're enemies or allies like they just know that this is a joke administration yeah it is and you know when you talk about some of the things and we'll get into it in a second that happened here and or didn't happen during Mm -hmm. these meetings you know it's just this administration's ability to handle any kind of situation, foreign and domestic, is, is zero. Zero. There was reports this week that were quickly debunked based off of raw video, news agencies, and then foreign and domestic intelligence of an Israeli attack on a hospital in Gaza. Turned out wasn't the case. It turned out that... It, it was a misfire of one of their... PVC pipe missiles that they make, right? Because yeah. they, they're making their own bombs out of what, like... Well, they're making their own bombs out of the sewer pipes that the yeah, Israeli gave them to fix their water problem. Yeah. They still have a water problem, believe it or not. Weird. Mm. So this created a firestorm, not across the region, but across the world. You saw protests everywhere from campuses and universities in the United States to the inside of the rotunda of the Cannon Building on the Capitol. Insurrection. Absolutely. And, and then uh, for Israeli and U.S. embassies across the Middle East, there was property destruction, there were fires started, and there were evacuations of families directly related to the ambassadors and their staffs over there who are currently stationed at all of these embassies as well. And like always, it doesn't matter if it's true. They got to say it. Yep. It's on people's tongues, and people will continue to spout this fucking rhetoric over and over and over again. The toothpaste does, in fact, not go back in the tube. Yeah. Here's Joe Biden talking about it. It was kind of interesting the way he laid it out. Let's hear it. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, 
explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. Team? But there's a lot of people out there not sure. Team? So we've got, we got to overcome a lot of things. Terrorist group Hamas has slaughtered, as has been pointed out. Oh, when you're funding both sides, they are teams. 300 people. And it's not hyperbole, it's just slaughtered. Slaughtered. And, one more time, uh, one more time. Including no, 31 Americans as part of that. Slaughtered. And uh, they've taken scores of people hostage. He's, he's reading off a card. Including children. They're committed evils that, uh, and atrocities that uh, got a make ISIS in? look uh, somewhat more rational. You know, uh, Americans are grieving with you. They really are. And Americans are worried. Americans are worried because we know there's a... No, we're worried because you're in charge. It's not an easy field to navigate what you have to do. But uh, the fact is that Israel, as they respond to these attacks, it seems to me that uh, have to continue to ensure that you have what you need to defend yourselves. And uh, we're going to make sure that occurs, as you know. And we have to also bear in mind that Hamas does not represent all the Palestinian people. And uh, it has little brought CYA them only there. suffering. It's pretty interesting because he said Hamas does not represent all the Palestinian people. However, the neighbors in the regions kind of feel a little bit differently on that. Yeah. It was announced this week that Jordan and Egypt had put a red line in the sand, and that would be they would be accepting not one, not thrice, zero refugees from Gaza, mm-hmm. zero Palestinian refugees, because they have no way to determine on whether or not whether or not you're a Hamas fucking fighter or Islamic Jihad yeah. or you know somebody that's on a TDY from Hezbollah <laughs> down to the Gaza Strip. <laughs> it's just the way it is. I think I figured out what the noise was. It's not so much that he was sucking on a Werther's original. I think it was his his chin bones were clacking together while they, he was talking. They were starting to droop right there in that yeah. moment. So. Anthony Blinken did meet with the, I guess, the emir of Qatar this week as well. And he also said in that meeting that the leader of Qatar would not be expelling or removing the leadership of Hamas, who lives in glorious palaces in Qatar. Mm. But not, any, not, not hard to find, you might say. Under any circumstances. Also, back to what Joe Biden said, the other team, is that just like a weird way for him to just not say the name? I mean, obviously, they're funding both sides. So for them, it literally is. It's like a cockfight. Sure. Like, they, but you own both the chickens in the, the fucking... The Simpsons memes with the two monkeys. Yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> but is, is that a way for them to just sort of, like, deflect and not actually say it? Like, was he instructed to say the other team? Like, is that a weird way of just not saying the fucking name of the people who did it? Just imagine 30 minutes earlier, he was at the podium giving his open statements in in a dual podium speaking event with Netanyahu comparing what happened two weeks ago in Israel to 15 9-11s and 30 minutes later in their fireside chat saying that the people that caused 15 9-11s were members of the other team. Ouch. Yeah, it's just, it's just a weird, it's a weird way to phrase it. I'll be honest with you as well. You know, Anthony Blinken, Admiral Kirby, and Jake Sullivan were all in the region as well as part of Joe Biden's delegation they negotiated zero hostages released from Gaza. But 10 martinis. At the very least. Wherever you guys are listening to the podcast today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you subscribe to the show. Helps us out big time. Top 100, algorithms, suggestions. Leave a five-star rating. Write a review. 
if you so choose. And then on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, hit the notification bell, and make sure you're following us. Let's hear Joe Biden's national security advisor, Russiagate proprietor, Jake Sullivan, as he talked about some comments he made a few weeks ago about how calm, cool, and collective the Middle East had been for the last couple years. I want to play you some remarks that you made just eight days before the attack and get your reaction on the other side. The Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. Now, challenges remain. Iran's nuclear weapons program, the tensions between Israelis and Palestinians. But the amount of time that I have to spend on crisis and conflict in the Middle East today compared to any of my predecessors going back to 9-11 is significantly reduced. Jake, why was your assessment there so far off the mark? Well, first, Kristen, I made those comments in the context of developments in the wider Middle East region over the last few years. After two decades that involved a civil war in Yemen and a massive humanitarian catastrophe, a civil war in Syria and a massive refugee crisis, an invasion and insurgency in Iraq, a NATO military operation in Libya, Iranian-backed attacks on both Saudi and the UAE, uh, as well as many other steps, inc- including the rise of a terrorist caliphate that actually occupied a huge amount of territory. The sentence before what you just played, I said, in fact, that this was for now and that it could all change. He doesn't get paid enough money to be that wrong. Mm. That's that's embarrassing. And when you see the way the Middle East has heated up, especially over the fake news from the not hospital bombing, it's... Absolutely disastrous, but... Yeah, misfired in a parking lot, basically, is what happened. Yeah, and I think the big explosion was that either shrapnel or part of the warhead, which fell off of the delivery system mid-flight, landed on a generator that was there and and caused the dust-up. But, Mm. yeah, saying that a hospital was bombed by a a JDAM from Israel and that over 500 people were killed, including children, which is the toothpaste that you can't put back in the bottle. It's, and, it, I mean, and it was, and it was our government that, that put that out. Yep. You even had Rashida to leave. There's but, no fucking way they, they, they didn't think that was false. As late as yesterday saying she was still invoking that heartstring. So I just think that when you look at the intensity of how things have heated up and the continued failed policies of, of Joe Biden's, defense and security staff on a foreign policy note, it's just unfathomable to where this could go. We've teased it a little bit, but what is up with Joe Biden's chin? Jeez. It looks like his face is melting off on this trip. I mean, I know Joe Biden had had a lot of plastic surgery done, which is not a smart thing to do at his advanced age before he ran for president. I mean, he got the neck tuck and the chin lift and got his cheeks removed and took all the wrinkles out of his forehead to where sometimes it looks like he's got so much Botox in his face. He can't even blink. I know it did. Like I hate to, to jump with all the conspiracy stuff, but it literally looks like a mask sometimes. Yeah, it's bad. And you know, what was worse was that his face was getting extra droopy while he was on the flight back from Israel and, and decided to come out of his cave and address the press. I know this has been, talked about a lot when you start looking into Joe Biden's mental capacity and the ability to lead the nation in the way that he so eloquently does. But this was one of his worst. When there's no teleprompter, 
and no note cards, and you see the reaction from Tony Blinken and John Kirby, who are flanking him on each side while he's talking, it can only spell a recipe for disaster. Let's hear it. Virtually every mass shooting, every circumstance where a large number of people have been victimized and lost, I spoke to them. I learned a long time ago what you've all learned in your life. When someone's going through something <laughs> that is beyond their comprehension that they ever thought they'd have to go through. If they see someone who they think understands or maybe they through something not the same but similar, it gives them some sense of hope. And I always get criticized sometimes on my staff because when I go to these events, I stay for three or four hours to answer all their questions. But it matters. Matters a lot, and uh, and look, I'm talking. Some of you have gone through a hell of a lot more than I've gone through, and a lot more than other people have gone through. And you understand. So it's just, it's just. Uh, people are looking for just something to grab, something that gives them some sense, sense of hope. And that's if I can do a little bit of that. Then, Wow. He says people are looking for something to grab, and then he extends his arm and goes, grab just a little bit of hope. Now, if I could do that for people, then that's what I'm going to be. That's what he just said. What the fuck does that mean? Is this the same clip when KJP, like, tries to interrupt him and say, I don't want to step on you, and he gets all grumpy and goes, then don't. No, it wasn't. No, that's a different one. This is the one where Anthony Blinken's like the door is separating half of his face and he's looking out and so many people have made memes that says Anthony Blinken has seen things. <laughs> and it's just John Kirby is standing to his other side and looks absolutely mortified. The whole time he's standing there with his Botox face, like eyes all the way open and a minute 38 of nothing. He didn't put two words together. I don't understand it. It's got to be, it's the amount of stress that his staff must be under when he has the opportunity to go off script. I mean, cause what, who knows what he's going to say? Yep. Like they're they They must have like a kill switch or something like that where they can like make him faint, like a remote, like inject, like an insulin fucking thing. That's going to like knock him out. Well, I just think when they put, they're going to trigger the heart attack. Finally, <laughs> when they put lids on his day, it, Nine ten o'clock in the morning on the East Coast, I think they pretty much say, like, go back to the presidential residence and stay there for the rest of the day. And, and It's insanity. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense that this person is running the fucking free world. And that's the sad part is, Noah, you know, we've had so many experts, people that worked in the former administration, and so many people tied to Russiagate who are running the government. Ugh. Susan Rice, John Kerry, Victoria Newland, Lisa Monaco, Jake Sullivan, all of them. Valerie Jarrett. Barack Obama's entire senior staff is in the basement with him. Yes. And and is directing Joe Biden, American foreign policy, or lack thereof, and destroying our country back home. If I could sit in the basement, in my pajamas, and do another term as a president. I always love pulling that clip up. (laughs) 
it's literally what's happening. We did have a voice of reason, though, outside of a Manhattan courtroom this week. Donald Trump was asked not only about Joe Biden's visit, but if he had decided to increase his travel plans in the very near future. Let's hear the 45th president. The attack on Israel. If I were president, Israel would not have been attacked. It was viciously attacked. It would not have been attacked. Ukraine would not have been attacked. You take a look at what's going on throughout the world. The world right now is a mess. It's a mess, and it's a very sad day. Thank you. I may, I may go, I may go, I haven't thought of it, but I believe in letting them do what they have to do, they have to straighten it out. What's happened in Israel is all of those people dead would have never happened, ever, not even a chance, even the Democrats admit that, if I were president. Thank you very much. He hasn't decided yet, but he's thought about it. You know, anytime I talk to anybody on the Trump team, I always bring up the fact that I think that Donald Trump needs to go back to the U.S. southern border. And I think that Donald Trump needs to, uh, you know, continue to expand and promote how successful his foreign policies were, especially in a time like this where there's so much war breaking out across the world. You know, U.S. destroyers off the coast of Iran shot down drones this weekend. U.S. servicemen and women were injured this week when drones attacked a United States base inside of Syria. And it's not being really reported in the news, but these all coincide with the absolute failure that Joe Biden's foreign policy has been. Yeah, those aren't acts of war. Mm -hmm. I mean, officially? Are we just not reporting on it? Like, nah, 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 fingers in the ears, don't tell the general public. And, you know, when you look at the fact that a lot of this visit to Israel, it's being kind of found out now that was for the Biden administration to pressure Prime Minister Netanyahu and the Israeli military to take it easy when they go into Gaza. I just want to remind everybody, whether or not you thought it was legitimate or not, or whether or not you armchair quarterback 20 years later or not, we went to two 20-year wars over 9-11. And what happened two weeks ago in Israel is just some of the most unfathomable human war crime level stuff ever. I mean, there's so many more videos coming out right now where, like, these guys thought it was funny. They were, like, going into, like, senior resident areas and just, like... Blasting them and leaving them on the ground to squirm. Just people are watching TV through their window, and they're shooting people through the window, and you're just watching them fall off the couch. You know, and then people that couldn't get out of their safe rooms, obviously, they burnt the houses to the ground and killed all the people, women, children, everything inside. Just the totality of the situation... I hate to see American Resolved weakened also by the stuff that goes on here with all the demonstrations and how our men and women in Congress have acted towards this situation. Yeah, I was driving on the freeway the other day, taking my son to one of his sporting events. And, you know, where we live out here, there's a huge resettlement from the first Gulf War Mm -hmm. of people from the Middle East. Four huge pickup trucks in a row, not Trump flags, Palestinian flags on the freeway down here in Southern California. Wow. Really interesting. And, you know, regardless of how you want the situation to shake it out and what the final disposition on it will be, it's not for Noah or myself to tell you guys how you should think. But at the end of the day, it's make sure you're using the maximum amount of intelligence and information you could get as possible before you start to, you know, finalize whatever your feelings on this situation is going to be. Because in such a digital age, not like was the time of 9-11, and just like everything else that's happened with the Biden administration, 
they have skirted this, the actual incident that happened two weeks ago, out of the news cycle already. Yeah, it's weird. And now the only thing I hear is is that people in Gaza are thirsty and hungry. They're always thirsty and hungry. It's a, literally an open-air prison. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where not a lot of people in the media are saying that Joe Biden was able to negotiate through one of the countries in the Middle East. I think it was Jordan brought in 20 trucks full of water and, and food over the course of the last 24 hours, probably baby supplies as well. But, you know, there aren't going to be any winners in this. If Israel goes in and completely eliminates Hamas and then reforms whatever is going on in Gaza to what it's eventually going to be, all the way to if Lebanon and, and Hezbollah decide to get involved in this and they have to fight a two-war front. Hezbollah is well more equipped, experienced, and prepared to fight Israel in the north than supposedly Hamas was in the south. But You mean look, they're not going to make rockets out of water pipes? Well, look at the result. You still had 1,400 dead. You had all those people kidnapped and taken hostage. You had rapes, beatings, all that other stuff. So, you know, we're just going to continue to keep an eye on this. I know we've been saying Israel has been entering the final stages of its preparation for its ground assault into Gaza for like the last week now, but it definitely looks like we're probably having the last big dog visit. I saw that the UK prime minister did get FaceTime with MBS this week. They sat down together and now he's going to be in Israel today talking with Netanyahu. So probably after that we'll be close to the single, especially since BB Netanyahu was up on the front lines over the last two days, kind of encouraging his men to be ready and, and we'll just see what happens. So like I already mentioned in the show, we had rep Andrew Clyde, Reschedule with us for next week just due to the busy nature of things up on Capitol Hill today. The House has finally, I believe, achieved chaos. And don't worry, we're going to be able to get all the insight from Rep. Clyde next week. We still have Jesse Benal joining us, but that's going to be a little bit later in the show. We're going to be jumping right over to our next news segment right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy, completely annihilate it. Hamas' stated purpose for existing is the destruction of the state of Israel and the murder of Jewish people. Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people. Hamas uses Palestinian civilians as human shields, and innocent Palestinian families are suffering greatly because of them. Meanwhile, Putin denies Ukraine has or ever had real statehood. He claims the Soviet Union created Ukraine. And just two weeks ago, he told the world that if the United States and our allies withdraw, and if the United States withdraw, our allies will as well, military support for Ukraine would have, quote, a week left to live, but we're not withdrawing. Well, Joe Biden addressed the nation last night, sort of. Mm. 
It was the second time that he appeared in the Oval Office to address the country. It lasted in about 15 minutes total time. And it was one of the weirder Joe Biden speaking engagements that I've seen. Just by comparison to all the things that are going on right now and and how he kind of lumped them all together. I'm talking about, obviously, the war in Ukraine and what happened in Israel. Noah, do you see any real comparison there? Like a comparison on what level? Like the fact that they're both wars? I mean, every time he said Putin, he said Hamas. Oh, yeah. It's it's the same as, what were you saying, that one uh, representative, every time she said one thing, she ended with the other, mm. and then vice versa? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's another, it's another just catchphrase. It's another catchphrase to make these two separate, there's gross loss of life coming from both sides on either end. Yep. And it's just making both of these things seem like they're synonymous with, with one another and something that the American people need to be concerned about and the government should be involved in. I think, uh, you know, when you talk about all the money that's tied up in this and that there's already United States munitions and might arriving in Israel, it's pretty ugly. J.D. Vance was watching this in real time last night. I saw a post on X that he put out there while he was hearing Joe Biden comparing Vladimir Putin to Hamas and what happened in Israel to the war in Ukraine. He said what Joe Biden is doing right now is disgusting. He's using dead children in Israel to sell his disastrous Ukraine policy to skeptical Americans. They are not the same countries. They are not the same problems. And this effort to use Israel for political cover is absolutely offensive. He would go on to say, hell no. Mm -hmm. But Joe Biden also said that he was going to prepare a bill that pretty much handcuffs all of the people in Congress because... Processing illegals on the U.S. southern border, money for Ukraine and Israel. We're coming in one package and one package only. Let's hear it. American leadership is what holds the world together. American alliances are what keep us, America, safe. American values are what make us a partner that other nations want to work with. To put all that at risk, if we walk away from Ukraine, if we turn our backs on Israel, it's just not worth it. That's why tomorrow I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security needs, to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine. It's a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. Help us keep American troops out of harm's way. Help us build a world that is safer, more peaceful, more prosperous for our children and grandchildren. In Israel, we must make sure that they have what they need to protect their people today and always. The security package I'm sending to Congress and asking Congress to do is an unprecedented commitment to Israel's security that will sharpen Israel's qualitative military edge, which we've committed to, the qualitative military edge. <laughs> We're going to make sure Iron Dome continues to guard the skies over Israel. We're going to make sure other hostile actors in the region know that Israel is stronger than ever and prevent this conflict from spreading. Look, at the same time, President Netanyahu and I discussed again yesterday the critical need for Israel to operate by the laws of war. That means protecting civilians in combat as best as they can. <clears throat> the people of Gaza urgently need food, water, and medicine. He's drying up. Yesterday, in discussions with the leaders of Israel and Egypt, I secured an agreement for the first shipment of humanitarian assistance from the United Nations to Palestinian civilians in Gaza. If Hamas does not divert or steal this shipment, 
these shipments, we're going to provide an opening for sustained delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance. Did for he the mean if Hamas does not divert or steal these shipments? Israel, like they have any say as hard that. as it is, we cannot give up on peace. We cannot give up on a two-state solution. Israel cannot give up on and Palestinians both sides. equally deserve to live in safety, dignity, and peace. What if Hamas did take the humanitarian relief? What are they going to do then? Just they're yeah, oh, drone it so oh, nobody no. can have it? <laughs> it's literally a cockfight, and you own both the chickens. Mm-hmm. I don't like talking about Joe Biden's cocks on the show. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> they opened up that new Ron DeSantis park in, in Florida this week. Yeah. It looks like. Is it pe- on stilts? It looks like a penis. What? Yeah. <laughs> like and, from the sky? Yeah. And they were saying when you take the new Ron DeSantis park. And put it on Joe Biden's chin. It looks like a complete set. Oh, <laughs> absolutely that, fantastic! That, that's unfortunate. Yeah, you know what else was unfortunate is that Joe Biden compared what's going on in other global skirmishes to that of the American Revolution. Of course. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. You ready for this heater? No. Let's check it out. <laughs> and serving the cause of freedom. Let me close with this. Earlier this year, I boarded Air Force One for a secret flight to Poland. There I boarded a train with blacked out windows for a 10 hour ride each way to Kyiv to stand with the people of Ukraine ahead of the one year anniversary of their brave fight against Putin. Why does the train have blacked out windows? And I'm told I was the first American to enter a war zone not controlled by the United States military since President Lincoln. With me was just a small group of security personnel and a few advisors. But when I exited that train and met Zelensky, President Zelensky, I didn't feel alone. I was bringing with me the idea of America, Mm. the promise of America. And a gift of a sweatsuit. To the people who are today fighting for the same things we fought for 250 years ago. Freedom, independence, self-determination. And as I walked through Kyiv with President Zelensky, with air raid sirens sounding in the distance. The air raid sirens that didn't need to be going off because there was no fucking air raids. More strongly than ever before. America is a beacon to the world. Come here. Still. Still. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. It is a beacon to the world now. Come here. Free shit. Yeah, come here. Get money. Oh, scissor me timbers. I hate it. We didn't even need Lindsey Graham today. I know. This is our most Biden-heavy episode also. It's ever. heavier than his chin. He's Paul Chinian. <laughs> Man, you know, President Trump put out a statement last night, and, and he was talking about what was going on with Joe Biden while I probably while he was watching this in real time, just how much of a disgrace it is. Uh, gonna... Oh, back to that clip. Go ahead. It's a train, mm-hmm. okay? It's on a track. It's not like they're going to fly evasive maneuvers or deploy countermeasures. Why is it... Pl- why does the train have blacked out windows? What's the point? <laughs> yeah, listen here, Jack. They were blacked out. Maybe he was blacked out. No, you know what? It was probably they just put him in a fucking clo- a broom closet on the train. No, no, this is your secure area, sir. Yeah. Here, we'll bring you a... Put a burlap sack over his head. I'll bring you a cocktail. President Trump issued this statement last night on Joe Biden's address to the nation. The horrific catastrophes taking place in Israel, as well as the chaos on our own southern border and hotspot after hotspot around the world all have one thing in common. They were caused by crooked Joe Biden's deadly combination of incompetence, radicalism, and weakness. 
When Joe Biden gives his Oval Office address tonight, he desperately is hoping Americans will forget that Biden himself is responsible for all of these disasters. As America stumbles ever closer to World War III, Joe Biden is Neville Chamberlain trying to pose as Winston Churchill. He is an arsonist promising to rescue us from the world he set on fire. Yep. Europe and the Middle East are ablaze because of crooked Joe Biden's failed presidency. His credibility is shot, and his enemies and our allies alike regard him as a pathetic joke. Yeah. President Trump has repeatedly said in the wake of evil terrorist attacks on Israel that the United States must support Israel 100%. Israel is one of our closest and most cherished allies, and they have everything they need to defend themselves from those who want to wipe Israel off the map. But that's just the beginning. The United States must immediately return to the Trump policies of completely and totally defunding each and every one of Israel's mortal enemies while stating that Hamas and their terror sponsor, Iran, is complicit in these crimes as well. That's what you've been alluding to pretty much the whole show, Noah. Yeah, well, you know. If Biden's speech does not include the absolute commitments to economically isolate the Iranian regime and support the Israelis in defeating, dismantling, and permanently destroying the terrorist group Hamas, then Joe Biden does not stand with Israel. He funds and finances the barbarians who slaughter Israeli men, women, children, and infants and supports those who are committed to eradicating the Jewish state from the face of the earth. This is no time for weakness or neutrality. Joe Biden's appeasement of Iran and Hamas must end. Under the Trump administration, we imposed crippling sanctions on Iran and drove their accessible foreign currency reserves, their terrorist piggy bank, mm. down from over $70 billion a year to just $6 billion by the time President Trump left office. Iran was essentially bankrupt. President Trump also zeroed out the funding for the Palestinians that they were using money to find, finance and fund violent terror across the world. From his first day in office, Joe Biden made it a personal mission to enrich those who were trying to kill Israel. Biden restored hundreds of millions of dollars in funding to the Palestinians' terror slush fund. He gutted Trump-imposed sanctions on Iran and gave the wicked Iranian regime tens of billions of dollars to fund their terrorist proxies, including Hamas and Hezbollah. Sadly, Israel is now paying the price for these Biden policies with their own blood. Just this week, Joe Biden was in Israel offering, offering a gift of $100 million to Palestinians without even demanding the release of American hostages. Meanwhile, he lectured Israel to fight with both hands tied behind their back. His performance in Israel was a disgrace to America and an insult to the Israeli people. But perhaps Joe Biden's most shameful betrayal of all this was reported in an attempt to hold $10 billion in funding for America and Israeli hostages, and again demand $90 billion for his open borders and his bottomless appetite for endless wars in the Ukraine. Mm. This hideous exploitation of pain and suffering of the Israeli people. The American people must be allowed to support Israel without being forced to fund the invasion of millions of illegal aliens who are pouring into the United States and without starting World War III in Ukraine. Lastly, Joe Biden has made it a moral duty to declare that Hamas sympathizers and Israeli-hating radicals have no place in the Democrat Party. He's talking about the squad, the Hamas caucus. Just yesterday, the Democrat members of Congress were cheering on an illegal pro-Hamas occupation of the House office building while repeating disproven terrorist propaganda, falsely claiming that, Israeli, that the Israeli military bombed a hospital. Joe Biden must forcefully condemn and completely disavow the support of every Hamas sympathizer in his Democrat party, starting with Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, and AOC. And until he does that, his words are meaningless, and our foreign policy is run by the anti-Israeli pro-Hamas squad. President Trump gets it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's ridiculous that those people are allowed to serve in high levels in the, in the country. Can't believe that they haven't been censured. Oh, wait, we need a Speaker of the House for that. Convenient. 
So Joe Biden's proposed bill right here, $105 billion, $60 billion of it go to Ukraine, 14 for helping out Israel, and the change is going to go to processing illegal immigrants on the U.S. southern border faster than they are right now. I want these things to be voted on single subjects. We've been talking about this for weeks now. Matt Gates got some skin in the game to get there now. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't be a fucking lumped in, like, oh, well, you know, you want to do this. I mean, you don't hate puppies, right? It's like, no, I don't hate puppies, but, I, you know, if I vote for the puppies, then you're still going to give all my money to these other assholes. Mm. But but you don't hate puppies, do you? No, but, like, can I? Can we just do the puppies and not the other things? Like, Can I like puppies and not assholes? Yeah, fuck, man. <laughs> so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that that is commonplace and it's built into just how the fucking system works and it is the system it is a system that has failed us and has has done nothing but line the pockets of these fucking globalist weirdos yeah it's the truth you know and uh we gave you guys just about half of joe biden's speaking event the rest of it involved him going off on tangents and clearing his throat but you know we gave you the meat and potatoes of it to that's what was in his chin. <laughs> Meat and potatoes. <laughs> I like it. I also like for you guys to be following and downloading the show. So wherever you're listening to us today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you're following us. Make sure the show's downloading. Also on social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. Fox News didn't help out. Not like they ever do. Mm. Following Joe Biden's speaking event, never Trumper Brit Hume came in to gush over Joe Biden and say this was probably one of the best speeches the president has given since World War II. One of the best, if not the best speeches of his presidency. He was firm. He was unequivocal. He was strong, as he has been, particularly uh, in recent days when he was before he went to Israel and while he was over there. I was struck by the fact that he spent as much time as he did on Ukraine, and I think it was a good thing that he did because the aid for Ukraine uh, package that he's talking about and further aid to Ukraine beyond that is in jeopardy, and I think that he was hampered a little bit in that effort by the fact that he dare not really mention the best reason. I mean, he mentioned, broadly speaking, the best reason for sticking with it in Ukraine, which is that what would the rest of the world and its evildoers think if we pulled out of there? because that comes on the heels of his having pulled out of Afghanistan, which arguably emboldened uh, all of the uh, all of our adversaries. I'm so glad we played the Joe Biden speech before we got to hear Brit Hume, because mm. I don't know what the hell he was listening to. You know, and, and... He was listening to his own remix in his head. If this week couldn't have gotten any worse... No, you saw when Joe Biden was in Israel, he doxed about eight members of Delta Force as well. Oh, my God. What the... Oh, man. Seriously? Yeah. I, 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 like, is there no fucking OPSEC in this goddamn administration? Like, what fucking retard said, hey, these special forces guys whose basic fucking job depends on them being somewhat fucking anonymous. Like, you know all those pictures you've seen before where they have, like, their identifying marks blurred and their fucking faces X'd out with a box or blurred? Like, that's a thing. There's a reason for that thing. It's really interesting. It's asinine. It was up on the White House official site for quite some time on all the social medias before it was taken down after being pointed out by tens of thousands of people. And it lasted how long? Like, I mean, you know the first fucking person 
who commented on it is like, hey, what the fuck? Like these guys probably shouldn't show their faces, and it la- and it stayed up for hours. Mm-hmm. And now everybody saved a copy of the picture. So now whenever people are putting up things about how stupid Joe Biden is for posting it, people are putting in the comment section, oh, do you mean these Delta Force operators? And then putting the original post in the comment section so everybody can continue to see them. Yeah, I mean, well, it doesn't matter now. It's out. Our enemies have it. So the Joe Biden curse, which started with SEAL Team 6, which he also docks in the exact same way as a senator and then vice president, (laughs) now continues with Delta Force in Israel. J.D. Vance jumped on Fox News and Boomer sweat Sean Hannity shortly after Joe Biden addressed the nation to give his commentary on it. We already read one of his ex-posts, but let's hear the senator from Ohio. Why is Joe Biden going on national television and selling people on a Ukrainian escalation when Joe Biden is talking about the terrible tragedy in Israel? Whatever your view, Sean, on, on Ukraine, it is a separate country and a separate problem. I think yep, what the president exactly. did is completely disgraceful. If he wants to sell the American people on 60 billion more to Ukraine, he shouldn't use dead Israeli children to do it. It was disgusting. Certainly was. Yeah, you can't. They're not. They are not the same fucking thing. They are. They are completely separate events in different areas of the world, and it doesn't. I mean, it's not that far off, but it's. But it doesn't have anything to do with one another. And they never will. No. I mean, it's just like the two. And that's another thing too. I don't know how many people realize now that we're two plus years into this conflict. If Vladimir Putin wanted to conquer Ukraine and continue on towards our NATO allies, by this point, I'm pretty sure that he would have done it. Yeah. However, like a lot of the geopolitical and military strategists, veterans, etc., who have come on our show and kind of broke this down for you guys, as you can see, Vladimir Putin was going to put a buffer on his backyard. And outside of taking Odessa... Pretty much everything that everyone's talked about that's come on our show that's an expert in the region has pretty much come to fruition. And, you know, they're teasing that after the holidays and into the spring season when the Russians start moving again, they're probably going to wind up taking Odessa. And at that point, they're going to be done with their special operation. But if you think with the Ukrainian military down to long-ranged international weapons that they're going to be able to stop Russia from doing anything. Yeah, no, it's, it's over. And this bullshit where we'll never give up until the borders are restored. Like, fuck you. The borders are never going to be restored. There's no more restoring borders. There's going to be new borders, but they're coming from the other end. Yep. yep. And, and you know, when you, when you look at throwing another $60 billion into that black hole. It's pointless. It's fucking pointless. We really have to move on from there and, and figure some kind of an exit strategy, whether or not. Well, it's not pointless. It's the money laundering. Is what it is. Yeah, and, and we've seen so many alarming things with the money that, you know, you, you have to just be able to say at some point, enough is enough. We, we've heard so many congressmen and women come on the show and address it. I've been it. saying that. Yeah, we've been saying it too. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, the people that matter. Yeah. You, you can't be saying, like, okay, which day is it? Is it Israeli lapel pin, pin day? Is it Ukrainian lapel pin day? It has to be America first, and that starts off with. Well, that's why there's two lapels. Well, I like it. And two pockets. You can have one flag in each pocket. You could just go up. Uh, Shitbird. Ukrainian pocket square and Israeli ascot. Ooh. <laughs> if you want to get super fancy. And, uh, you know, but but as for as much as a joke as it isn't, 
I really have to be able to let you guys know that you have seen the curtain pulled back by what's gone on in the house and the fact that Chuck Schumer is really not a leader without Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell has been compromised by bad health. So you have all of these younger senators kind of running around now, Josh Hawley, J.D. Vance, Tommy Tuberville, who's not young, but, you know, he's new to the Senate, Ted Cruz, Senator Kennedy, kind of expo- like saying this is fucking ridiculous and we cannot be doing this anymore. And, you know, it just falls to meet the standard of what we need as far as keeping our military ready to go, which now there's not, it's fucking not. There's a third carrier group heading to the middle East now to join the, uh, Gerald Ford and Dwight D Eisenhower. And what happens? And what happens if something else happens where we need those resources to be available to us? Oh, you mean if like the Quds force is, is firing rockets off the coast of Iran or if if we're getting drone attacked at our military bases in places like Syria? Oh, right, yeah. If those continue to escalate? Yeah. Yeah, we, we are absolutely screwed. And then when you talk about the amount of deficit that's happened to our strategic petroleum reserves, the munitions and ammo that it requires our military to be ready. We're not ready. They can't make it fast enough. Any- We're giving out like 60% of it a year, and they're only re- replenishing it with like 16% annually. Now they're bumping that up in the next fiscal year to replace it with 24% of an increase. But when you're sending out so much. That mean, just means they're planning on giving away more. Yeah, and that's all it's going to be for. We, we really can't you know, just continue to do this because at some point, and I, and I hate to even mention Russia and Taiwan because it seems like it's the easy. Oh, just wait till that fucking starts kicking off. Yeah. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. And in our last audio clip of the week, I've got Senator Hawley. He jumped on with the Botox queen, Laura Ingram, last night to provide some commentary and analysis on not only Joe Biden's speaking event, but it's disastrous trip to the Middle East. Let's hear it. Well, what about the fact that the White House today, Senator, had to apologize for showing a photo mm. or releasing a photo that actually showed the, you know, the faces of U.S. special forces that are operating, obviously, in the, in the most dangerous of conditions. And again, this is the kind of incompetence that we see as they say, give us billions and billions and billions of more, more dollars and, you know, we'll get it right this time. Yeah, these are the people who are running our foreign policy. Joe Biden is the guy who, who has got his, his hand on the nuclear football and is making these decisions. I mean, if that doesn't frighten you, I don't know what will. These people are so incompetent. Let's not forget what they did in Afghanistan barely two years ago. The disastrous, chaotic, embarrassing withdrawal that they prosecuted there. And now these people want us to trust them to run the policy in Ukraine, give them money without any kind of limit, and tell the Israelis what to do. Uh, No, thank you. We should say to the Israelis, you do what you need to do, and we're going to support you. And meanwhile, we're going to close our borders and get this society secure. It's a pretty simple equation right there. You know, you want to... You would have a lot more enthusiasm to funding these things if we weren't trying to be the referee in between Russia and Ukraine and Israel and a terrorist organization. So that's kind of the week that was. Mm. It was such a great one, to say the least. Just just wait until we start doing the fucking Wolverines insurgent groups in the United States. Us fighting against the enemy that's already here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, if you don't think things are going to heat up even more once the Israeli ground operation begins, 
it's like a domino effect in the Middle East. The littlest thing can trigger a region-wide firestorm. You saw it in the Arab Spring. You saw it when people like Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi were taken out. And, you know, with the Iranian mullahs and the leadership there having their coffers filled with Biden bucks, Mm. it seems like they have an endless supply of all the things they need to make our lives extremely difficult. So we're going to be continuing to track all these situations as we always do here on the show. We're also going to be jumping in with Trump attorney Jesse Benal and getting a little analysis from him on all of the Trump legal cases and the developments that happened there this week. But before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the Steak for Records podcast. He's a constitutional attorney, does a little work for President Trump, always fighting for America first. Excited to be sitting down with Mr. Jesse Benal. Thanks for coming back to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we did have a little bit of movement in some of President Trump's cases this week. I wanted to touch on both of those with you to get things started. First off was the gag order that was issued earlier in the week and uh, what your reaction was. You teased about it last time on the show and talked about the unconstitutional ability of it. And now that we've seen it happen in real time, just how big of an issue this is for not only President Trump's case, but all cases setting a new precedent moving forward. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, here's what the uh, the appellate courts are going to have to decide now. It, is the, the First Amendment something worth fighting for? It's, uh, you know, judges have known for a long time that popular speech, non-controversial speech doesn't need protection. The First Amendment wasn't made to protect speech that everybody was going to agree with. Um, and while the you know these judges in the dc circuit uh may not like president trump i think we we uh many of them have made their uh voices on that heard loud and clear um i would think that they would still want to protect the first amendment for all americans but this issue is is on appeal now to the the dc circuit and we're going to get to see uh, if um, if they they decide that the First Amendment is is something still worth uh, protecting for for all Americans or not now, um, because gag orders as a prior restraint against speech are the um, most disfavored type of uh, speech restrictions um, uh, in First Amendment jurisprudence. It's what the founders wanted so specifically to stop is prior restraints on speech. Um, so, uh, we're going to see how the appeal goes, but I am, uh, overall optimistic, um, that this gag order, which is just absolutely unconstitutional for so many different ways will be, uh, overturned. Now, Jesse, why was it important? Uh, we feel it was, I, I don't know if you're going to agree with us here that president Trump went through the formal appeals process, staying in the DC court instead of going directly to the Supreme court, if he could. Um, the Supreme court, I, I think is not going to um, want to, to hear a case like that that hasn't gone through the circuit process first. Generally speaking, um, while there sometimes are mechanisms involved uh, to go directly to the Supreme Court on something, um, the, the court generally per, uh, uh, prefers that you go through the, the regular order, and that is to go to the Intermediate Court of Appeals first. And the Supreme Court's not going to want the the appearance 
that they are encouraging people to, well, actually, there's a couple things. First of all, they don't want the appearance um, that people can just go right past the Court of Appeals and go straight to the uh, to the Supreme Court, first of all. And the second thing is, in order to have a case with important constitutional principles uh, involved, the Supreme Court likes to have as many other decisions from other judges out there as possible um, in order to make sure they're seeing all sides of an issue uh, before they make that final ruling on it. Yeah, I think that's really good that you kind of laid that out there for our listenership because a lot of people were saying that he should just kind of appeal it to the Supreme Court. But I, I'm in the agreement with you there. If we go through the process and you see that the system is flawed and the system is biased and that there is two tiers of justice and they're just trying yeah. to stop President Trump from fighting his cases, not only in the courtroom, but in the case of public opinion, now it can go to the Supreme Court and said, listen, we've seen all your guys' rulings and if you just go using the rule of law here, we're seeing that President Trump is not getting a fair shake. Therefore, I think that he would eventually get it overturned if it goes to the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah, I, I am very optimistic that whether it's the D.C. Circuit, and I actually think there's a, a decent chance that while the D.C. Circuit is um, perhaps now the most left-wing of all the circuit courts of appeal, even even more left-wing than the Ninth Circuit, um, I still think there's a, a decent chance that uh, those judges are, are going to do the right thing and reverse that order. Um, but if, if they don't, then again, I've, I've got a lot of uh, optimism that the Supreme Court will. Yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on that and checking in with, with this situation on you. Next thing I want to talk about is the ruling that came out over the last few days regarding the Georgia case and Sidney Powell. I saw that yeah. the court had finally ruled that all of the felonious charges were going to be dropped against her and that she would in turn be paying a fine and, and having some probation in regards to misdemeanors that she plea dealed for. Can you tell us optically how this looks? I think it's kind of a big win because it looks like they were trying to go after everybody you know, just as hard as the January Sixers, if not worse. And at the end of the day, how does this kind of feed into the overall case that the, the Georgia's built up against President Trump? Yeah. And I mean, just within, uh, I think, less than an hour, uh, uh, Ken Jesborough accepted a very similar um, deal yep. as well. And so here's really what this means. You're right. It, it overall, I, I think, is a, is a good thing um, for the case against President Trump. Um, the Georgia district attorney was absolutely terrified to go to trial right now. And what these two defendants did is they insisted on their speedy trial rights, which means that this case had to go to trial um, before early November. And um, and so that was uh, that put the, the prosecution on a quick time frame. And the fact is, we all know that they don't really have a case against any of these people. But what they can do is essentially destroy these people's lives by making them go through a four-month trial. And if you think about how much money a four-month trial would cost, sure. um, you know, you're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're talking about millions of dollars. And so it is a very, very difficult thing to, to put people through. But by agreeing to the deals that the district attorney just agreed to down there, we see that they, you know, A, aren't ready for trial and B, they were also terrified of um, showcasing their uh, their case for the other defendants uh, uh, that were not going to trial immediately. And so that's why I, I think they were so bound and determined uh, to give these people whatever they wanted in order to for the district attorney to save face. Um, and as much as much as for the um, 
defendants involved, especially the deal that um, that Sydney got. And, you know, her lawyer in this case, I think was was excellent. Yeah, we agree. Um, and so while that was a really, really good uh, uh, result for um, uh, that lawyer to get her, the fact that she was in that position, the fact that any of these defendants are in that position is completely um it, it's a disaster for the American rule of law. Yeah. It is the simple uh, uh, weaponization of our justice system. And I am just terrified as to what this means long term for the rule of law. If you can put your political opponents in the position where they have to plead guilty um, uh, to offenses just because you've threatened to put them through, you know, four four months of litigation in front of a jury that's seventy five percent Democratic uh, and absolutely hates um, uh, these particular defendants before you know the trial would even would even begin. So it's still a very very scary day, but the result um, here I think overall is good. No, we agree as well. And then you know that whole ruining people's lives financially just goes into the, the lawfare that's been waged against president Trump and, and anyone yeah. that's kind of adjacent to him since he's left office. And, but now that the rulings are starting to come out, we're seeing how paper thin the allegations were. And I think it does lead towards good things pending a disposition on, on eventually president Trump's case as well. Jesse, last thing I want to talk with you on, we'll take it down to Florida. Judge Cannon ruled this week that Jack Smith and the special counsel will not be able to move uh, portions of that case, including things uh, surrounding the, Top, top secret documents to DC, something that would, you know, just kind of gum up the gears even more and and give lend Jack Smith's case of favorability being in, in a place like Washington DC. As you saw that ruling come out, and the way that she's kind of fairly gone through everybody's requests on both sides regarding this case, how are you seeing shaking out? Um, judge Cannon is, is the type of judge that we need to see more of in this country. We need more judges that put politics aside and just try to call balls and strikes. And she appears so far to have done that. She, you know, certainly hasn't given President Trump everything he's asked for, but she holds the government um, to to their case as well. Um, we need more uh, more judges that are doing that. Um, you know, anything, anytime that you that you hear them attempting to put things in Washington, D.C. We know what, why that is. They want, I mean, they want the entire case in, in Washington, D.C. is really what they want. Um, but they certainly want as many of the, uh, you know, documents, issues, anything like that to be in, in Washington, D.C. because that's where, that's where the swamp is. Um, and that's where they think they have the most power and, and control. So I think it's very good that Judge Cannon um, stopped them in their tracks on that one. Oh, we agree and, and think uh, moving forward, we're probably going to see more of the same, especially when Jack Smith tries to make some outrageous requests to, you know, hurt President Trump and, and put his case in a more favorable location. Jesse, this was yeah. awesome sitting down with you today. Obviously, we're going to be live linking the law group in the show description. But for anyone that's not tracking you on social media, where can they check you out? I'm at, at Jay Banal. Um, that's uh, J-B-I-N-N-A-L-L. Uh, you can find me there on True Social, and, uh, on X, and uh, Instagram as well. Absolutely fantastic, as well as all of the information you gave our listenership today. This is constitutional attorney who's always fighting for America first. Mr. Jesse Minal, have a great weekend. Thanks for having me, guys. Man, this has been an absolutely crazy edition of the show today in the studio for many, many hours, patching this together and making sure you guys are all 
kept up to date on everything going on. So if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now nearly 290 other editions of the show, you better be following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, and High Heart Radio. Make sure you're following the show and it's downloading. And then across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down today. Representative Bob Good, Representative Tom Tiffany, and constitutional attorney who works with the Trump team, Mr. Jesse Benal. They definitely all helped make Steak great again. Guys, don't worry. Even though it seems like it's a little chaotic now, everyone's heading into the weekend, and all of your congressmen and women who are supposed to be picking a speaker took off for the weekend as well. So don't fret. We'll be back on our Tuesday edition of the show, and we have an absolute jam-packed America First slate of guests coming in here. For the first time, Senator Tommy Tuberville will be here. Also for the first time, Representative Lauren Boebert. We're going to be catching up with Cash Patel and get an all-access insight to what's going on in the Trump campaign with no other than Boris Epstein. So on behalf of the pod team, who's no longer here because it's so late in the day, I'm Roan. Thanks for listening. Have a safe weekend and take care. He's a Balchinian. Oh. Uh, looks like you were in a pretty tight spot, kid. I had this one handled. You need a partner.